Hello and welcome to From Russia with News, a weekly news podcast brought to you by the Moscow Times. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Millions of citizens of Russia are united by the Olympic dream. I view the Russians as a far greater challenge that we have. President Putin, uh, he just said it's not Russia. A unique country, not bad, not bad at all. I'm your host, Jake Cordell, a reporter in our Moscow newsroom. This week on the program, we have the latest on how Russia is dealing with the coronavirus, with experts on the line to take us through the latest developments and assess how Russia's health system and its economy will cope with the pandemic. But it's only really beginning to set in Moscow the fact that life is going to change for the near future, not for the long haul. Moscow Times reporter Evan Gerskovich joins me to go over the steps Russia has taken in recent days. Then later, we'll hear about concerns over the capacity and quality of Russia's hospitals and medical facilities to deal with the coronavirus from Judy Twigg, a professor at Virginia Commonwealth University and senior associate at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Overall quality control, then I think we have some serious doubts about the robustness of the system to handle what may be coming. And finally, ING's chief Russia economist Dmitry Dolgin explains how the massive global economic disruption caused by the coronavirus will affect Russia. I would say that yes, the Russia is better prepared, but but obviously it's not immune to a prolonged period of turmoil and long, long period of low oil prices or in case of prolonged period of global recession. First up, a small housekeeping announcement. As you may have already gathered, we're not in our usual studio for this week's recording, as we do our bit to practice social distancing and help stop the spread of the virus. Apologies for any quality that may be lacking in this. And now we'll jump straight into that same topic and look at how the Russian response has been as it tries to slow the coronavirus outbreak and prepare for widespread disruption that has already been caused. Don't assume your community won't be affected. Prepare as if... It will be. Don't assume you won't be infected. Prepare as if you will be. But there is hope. There are many things that all countries can do. That was the Director General of the World Health Organization speaking Wednesday. To go over these issues in some more detail, I have on the line my fellow Moscow Times reporter, Evan Gerskovich. Evan, hello. Thanks for being with us today. Hi, Jig. So we're recording this Thursday morning in Moscow. It's quite a fast-changing situation. Can you bring us up to date on what's the latest about the situation with coronavirus here in Russia? Uh, yeah, it's really shifted, as you've seen yourself on the ground, really quickly over the past past couple days. When the coronavirus first broke out in Wuhan, China, at the end of 2019, Russia moved quite quickly to shut its border, uh, its 4,000-kilometer border with China, and it limited flights between the countries. Uh, at that time, Russia, just like everyone else in the world, as- seemed to assume that the virus would be limited to China itself. Uh, but as it spread first to South Korea and Iran, and then as we've seen to Italy, uh, Russia started taking some extra measures. But it wasn't until the World Health Organization last Wednesday uh, termed this a pandemic that Russia really seemed to rev into gear uh, and really over the weekend. At that point, though, the measures seemed to be sort of, let's say, sort of stopgap measures. Moscow banned gatherings over the weekend to 5,000 people. And I had an expert at that point tell me that it seemed like the authorities were uh, making it seem like they were doing something without doing anything at all. Uh, I guess the, the idea was sort of if, if a gathering has 5,000 people and a few people are infected, uh, it's not really doing anything. 
as the week went on, Monday and Tuesday, it seemed to go into overdrive. Russia from Wednesday has banned foreigners from entering the country. And this measure is in place until May 1st uh, to give it some time to sort out how the how the crisis will spread. Uh, Moscow has allocated budget and has already started building a new hospital on the city's outskirts for coronavirus patients. And gatherings in Moscow have been limited to 50 people. These measures were all taken in the past few days. So we've seen a dramatic shift in basically watching and seeing how it's developing from afar to essentially the country seeming to believe that it's going to be quite serious here as well as it, as we've seen in Europe and in the United States. Yeah, and, the, and these measures, as you say, have come in quite quickly this week. And I think speaking early this week, President Vladimir Putin said that coronavirus was under control in Russia. He was praising how Russia had managed to stop the spread of the disease, uh, as you said, back in, in early January. Uh, is that the case? Is it under control here in Russia? The major talking point from the authorities this entire time is that coronavirus is a foreign threat and it's not within Russia except for people who had just returned from China or Italy. At the beginning of the crisis, there were a couple cases in Russia and they were Chinese students. They quickly got better and so Russia looked at it as a Chinese threat. Then it got to Italy and Russia's first reported Russian citizen within Russia having the coronavirus had returned from Italy. And so the, again, the authority's talking point was that it's something that's not within Russia. However, to make this point clearly, Russia currently is only reporting 147 cases of the coronavirus within Russia, which is quite low. Uh, and so on official statistics, uh, Putin's comments seem to be correct. However, the Moscow Times yesterday uh, reported that those testing figures may be quite off. Uh, there's two reasons for that. One is that certain medical experts are raising concerns over the fact that the test that Russia has been using potentially is not sensitive enough to pick up all cases of the virus. And two, and this is a key point, is that it's been keeping its numbers potentially quite low because it has been uh, testing people only who have returned from hotspots and within 14 days. So if somebody, and you know, Moscow Times reporters, including me and you and others, have talked to these people. As we well know, uh, if they've called a doctor to come to their apartment and give them a test for the coronavirus because they have a dry cough and fever, the two most common cases, uh, symptoms of the coronavirus, uh, doctors have quickly asked them, have you returned from, let's say, Germany or Italy or Iran within the past 14 days? And as soon as the person says, no, I haven't, they will tell them they have the flu or that they don't have the coronavirus. And so there are worries now that Russia potentially has many more cases than 147. And with first death, coronavirus death reported today in Moscow, those fears are becoming quite actual. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about Russia's strategy to this kind of thing, to to the testing and to the treatment and maybe how it, how it fits in against what we've seen in, in other countries, especially in Europe, which are more advanced in, in kind of the number of cases they're, they're dealing with? It seems, what it seems to be is that from country to country, it differs dramatically. But what we've seen or the World Health Organization has been saying is that testing, 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 testing is what puts a limit to the coronavirus spreading. So China today announced that for the first time, all its new cases came from outside of the country. So within two months, it stopped the spread within China. South Korea was quickly able to limit the spread, uh, certain other Asian countries. And what the World Health Organization has emphasized is that they were doing thousands of tests a day. Certain countries in Europe have been testing more than others. The United States has not been testing very much, and neither has Russia. What Russia has done is taking these really quickly, these dramatic measures to try to stop the movement of people uh, and potentially might do 
more in that vein. There are rumors circling about that Moscow might go on full lockdown within the next few days. Uh, city officials have denied those rumors. They've said that that's not true. We're still waiting to see whether that will be the case. But the World Health Organization is emphasizing that it's testing and testing more often that is really what helps uh, put a limit to the spread of the coronavirus because it gives officials an understanding of how infected the country actually is. Russia seems to be coming around to that. Uh, we spoke to a deputy state Duma in Russia's lower house of parliament this week who said that experience seen in Italy, he, he especially emphasized Italy, has shown that Russia should be testing more. And uh, Russia announced this week that it'll be opening up testing beyond just uh, government laboratories. As we reported, there was only one government laboratory that could officially confirm whether a test was positive. Now it seems to be that uh, Russia's realizing that it should be testing a lot more and it's moving quickly uh, to try to change that. The question is, it might be too late if the coronavirus is already spreading quite quickly within Russia. At this, the worry is how quickly we would become a situation like we're seeing in Spain or Italy where the healthcare systems are totally overrun. Yeah, and of course, that's where attention will be turning next. And we're going to be speaking later in the show about how Russia's healthcare system is set up to, to deal with or cope with the potential surge in patients. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Evan, um, how what's the mood like here in Russia? How are Russians themselves reacting? Obviously, viewers and in, in, listeners in Europe and America will have seen reports of panic buying and you know these cities on full lockdown. What's the picture here in Moscow? My sense is that it's really quite similar to every other country. It's been almost interesting watching it from here too, as a reporter, as the dominoes have sort of fallen, uh, where uh, it's first a sort of, it's not a problem for us. And then it quickly becomes a sort of thing where, oh, maybe it is a problem for us. And it's it's sort of taken lightheartedly as, you know, maybe we should stock up and then it becomes more serious. Uh, we only saw the panic buying really, really increase over the past couple of days. And interestingly, perhaps elsewhere, though I haven't seen that reporting, along class lines. So in the center of Moscow, stores are still fully packed. Uh, people are walking about. There's no real sense of social distancing. On the outside, on the outskirts of Moscow, we've been seeing videos and, and firsthand reports of uh, supermarkets totally cleaned out from products like pasta, toilet paper, just like everywhere else, but then also Russia-specific products like buckwheat which has been a staple food for, you know, for generations. And so it's, it, the mood is quickly shifting, but in the center of the city, it doesn't really feel like anything has changed. And that is perhaps also because of the way the leadership is handling it. Putin hasn't addressed the country on coronavirus yet, as we've seen uh, President Macron do in France, or the way, you know, even Trump has come around to this in the United States recently. Uh, Putin's first comments on the coronavirus came, was it two days ago, when he said the situation was under control. Uh, so it seems like the authorities, depending on how the authorities handle their public statements in the next few days, will change the mood. But it's only really beginning to set in Moscow the fact that life is going to change for the near future, not for the long haul. Yeah, can you can you talk a little bit more about that kind of the political leadership we, we've seen here in Russia? As you mentioned, Putin hasn't yet made any kind of grand uh, speech to the nation. There were also reports, obviously, when they banned the limit on public gatherings to 5,000, people were thinking, well, that's probably aimed at stopping protests. And then there was the news earlier this week that Russia is, is probably going to go ahead with national referendum on the 22nd of April to pass through these changes to the constitution that Putin is pushing through. How do you assess all, all these things? Yeah, I mean, Putin's in a really tricky position. He had this carefully planned 
uh, what the opposition in Russia is calling a constitutional coup, where in January he announced this raft of constitutional changes that analysts took as him trying to keep himself in power beyond 2024 when his constitutional term limit will be up. And, you know, for weeks, those plans were revving into gear. The coronavirus has been as much of a shock to him as it has been to anybody else, and he's trying to manage it as well. Politically, it seems all, all signs point to him wanting to go ahead in April for the reason that he doesn't want to look weak and uh, sort of succumb to external factors. This is a really, really, really fast-moving story. It's changing day by day. And so four weeks out, it's really quite difficult to say, you, you know, what that vote will look like on April 22nd. But officially, uh, it will be going ahead. Thank you very much, Evan. We'll be back with you later in the show for some more analysis of the coronavirus developments here in Russia. And sticking with the coronavirus, I'm very grateful to have two experts on the line, one on Russia's health system and one on Russia's economy to explain more about the impact of the virus there. First up, we have Judy Twig, a professor at Virginia Commonwealth University and a senior associate at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in the US. Judy's been researching Russia's healthcare system since the 1990s and has written extensively around how it has dealt with the HIV AIDS crisis here in Russia. Uh, Judy, thanks for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Jake. Uh, so we've got one very big question, which, which I want to ask you, which is how well prepared, how well set up is the Russian healthcare system to deal with what might be coming down the line? They've done an admirable job so far in containment of the virus. They have put travel restrictions in place. They appear to be saying many of the right things about social distancing. They appear to be fairly well set up at the federal level. The Ministry of Health and other agencies are issuing good instructions down to the regional and local levels. Um, there are some issues about testing that I'm sure we can talk about, but I get the sense that your main question is about what happens if the healthcare system starts truly to be overloaded with uh, moderate to severe cases of coronavirus disease. And it's a multi-layered question. If you just look at the statistics on numbers of hospital beds per capita and numbers of physicians per capita, it looks like Russia's in pretty good shape. Um, if you dig beneath that surface just a little bit, though, and start to ask questions about what those hospitals actually look like and how well those personnel are trained, uh, what the logistics setups are, um, overall quality control, then I think we have some serious doubts about the robustness of the system to handle what may be coming. Yeah. I'm where exactly might these kind of pressure points come? What, what kind of things should we be looking at over the next weeks and months? So first thing we should talk about is human resources. Uh, Russia has a handful of infectious disease specialists that are fabulous, world-class people. Uh, they have many caregivers at the specialist level who are really quite competent, but it's a bench that just isn't very deep. And if they get overloaded with cases, I worry about the capacity of the caregivers, um, not in terms of their dedication. I'm sure that there will be many people on the front lines who are willing to do what has to be done in order to take care of people who are sick. But I worry about their training and, and their level of competence in carrying through that level of commitment. I also worry about the quality of the facilities. I know that there are you know, the first and second infectious disease hospitals in Moscow. I know that they're building some new facilities on, on an accelerated basis. Uh, those are going to fill up pretty quickly if Russia follows, you know, the other European countries and, and a couple of Asian countries in the course of, in this epidemic. Um, once you get outside those couple of specialized facilities in the major cities, 
you get down to some facilities that are of pretty low quality. You know, there, there was that report that came out from a state council meeting last year about the percentage of healthcare facilities that don't have hot water, don't have running water at all, lack many of the most basic amenities. I think a fair amount of that was probably overstated, but it raises questions about the extent to which the kinds of surge capacity that they would need to bring online can meet basic standards for uh, equipment, infection control, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and I think everybody will probably be familiar now with this idea of flattening the peak and this this graph that's, that's been circulating about how to kind of spread this period where the health system is going to be under maximum pressure. Could you give us an idea maybe of the, that kind of capacity that Russia has and, and where that kind of capacity stands uh, compared to some of the, the other countries maybe we've, we've been talking about? So the point in flattening the curve is to practice your containment and your social distancing measures early and well so that you don't have to put that kind of strain on your healthcare system to treat people who become infected. In other words, you both delay and you draw out in terms of the timeline, the numbers of moderate and serious infections that are actually ending up in your emergency departments and in your intensive care units. So cross our fingers that Russia has done a good enough job at those early preventive measures so that strain on their healthcare system doesn't end up being something that we have to uh, have to worry about. Um, they've said and done a lot of the right things in Moscow. We're also hearing some stories about things maybe not being implemented quite so effectively in some of the smaller cities and out in the regions. So I, I worry about health system capacity outside Moscow, St. Petersburg, and, and a handful of other big cities. I worry about the success of the flattening the curve strategy there and about what's going to happen when we really need to surge emergency rooms and, and intensive care facilities. And you mentioned earlier about this issue of testing. One, one of the stories that's, that's got a lot of attention this week is there's been this spike in other uh, respiratory diseases and pneumonia cases at the start of mm -hmm. this year. And um, we just published a, an article on the Moscow Times about the, the testing regime here in Moscow. Can you explain a little bit maybe between the link between the importance of testing and then the, how the impact this has on the healthcare system and how that's set up to cope with the virus? Sure. And that was a terrific article that you guys ran today. Uh, in, in terms of the testing situation, um, Russia's not that unique. Um, what we're seeing broadly in Russia is very similar to what we're seeing in, uh, you know, in the United States and, and UK and a handful of other places where testing is not nearly keeping up with what we know are the number of actual uh, cases out there, what actual prevalence figures are. And that leaves us flying blind, right? It leaves us not knowing who should be self-quarantining. It leaves us not knowing where we need to really double down on the health communications aspect of things, the social distancing measures. Um, so, you know, Russia says they've run, what, about 150,000 tests, something in that neighborhood, and that's good. Um, we have reason to question whether or not there have been an enormous number of false negatives in that testing regime. Uh, they're just starting to get good testing ramped up, I think, in, in the same way that a lot of other countries are. Okay, that's very interesting. Thank you for sharing all of that with us today, Judy. You're welcome. Thank you again, Jay. And now over to our second guest to take us through some of the economic disruption, Dmitry Dolgin, Chief Russia Economist of ING Bank. Hi, Dmitry. Thanks for coming on the show today. Happy to be here. Hi. So uh, what has been the economic cost so far of the coronavirus here in Russia? Uh, so the coronavirus outbreak has several channels of impact on Russia. First of all, it's obviously the restrictions on international travel, both inward and outward. And as a result, uh, a number of uh, industries are under significant stress, such as airlines, obviously, travel agencies, to some extent, uh, hotels. 
the second channel, obviously, the uh, drop in demand for Russia's exports. Uh, Russia is a, a large uh, commodity exporter. Uh, oil uh, and uh, metals are important commodities that Russia exports, and obviously the industries that are related to uh, oil and gas and metals are also facing potential drop demand. Well, and finally, uh, the drop in demand for oil prices. So uh, demand for oil combined with the breakup of the OPEC plus deal uh, has resulted in the material drop in the oil price, and uh, that resulted in uh, material ruble depreciation. Uh, as of now, uh, ruble lost more than 20% to U.S. dollars since the beginning of the year. Uh, and obviously, that's, uh, uh, that is also creating some uh, stress in the economy, probably among the population. Uh, we are likely to see some inflationary impacts of uh, that move later on. But this is not the most important uh, effects. Uh, more concern is this uh, ruble depreciation will make investment imports uh, costly, which eventually may result in some uh, cuts in the investment programs by the business. And how well prepared is, is Russia for this period of instability? Obviously, over the last five years, kind of Russia has been building up its reserves and has been introducing policies like import substitution and stuff. Does this give Russia a bit of a cushion to deal with this turbulent period? I would say that uh, relative to the previous episodes of stress on the financial and the commodity markets, such uh, that we had in 2008 and 2014. Uh, currently, Russia is better prepared. We have accumulated, the government has accumulated larger fiscal buffers. Uh, we have uh, in the finance ministry has $150 billion of liquidity effects assets that can be converted into rubles in order to finance the budget deficit. The uh, ruble is now free-floating, so uh, its protection does not require uh, any, uh, any involvement in, by, the, uh, by the central bank. Russia has higher uh, real interest rates, which also provides some protection to the financial markets, even though for now it's not very obvious, but will probably become more important later on. Uh, so I would say that, yes, the, uh, R Russia is better prepared, but obviously it's not immune to a prolonged period of uh, turmoil and long period of uh, low oil prices or uh, in case of a uh, prolonged period of uh, global recession. And a lot of this talk about how well Russia's prepared focuses on these, these macro indicators and the government's balance sheet. When it comes to businesses and Russian consumers, how does the picture look there? I would expect uh, some uh, transfers to be made between the government that managed to accumulate some buffers over the last five years to uh, consumers that will obviously feel the uh, stress of the current uh, coronavirus uh, crisis. So around 40% of the Russian households directly depend on the state. Uh, they receive income from the uh, government in the form of uh, salaries, uh, pensions, and other social payments. So that group will uh, will probably receive some additional uh, handouts in order to weather the uh, current crisis. Uh, as for uh, the remaining portion of the populations, uh, those are presumed to be uh, higher income uh, categories. Uh, they have uh, savings, um, and uh, they have savings in local banks in the amount of uh, around 24 trillion rubles and uh, up to 100 billion dollars. That can be uh, those savings will probably need to be uh, tackled in order to maintain the previous consumption patterns. In addition, I would say that the 
ultra-rich uh, categories uh, of uh, households that have liquid assets abroad. Uh, they are estimated by the central bank at around $110 billion, can also be used as by those households as a way to, uh, to support consumption. And uh, in the, in the past, uh, one of one of the big kind of issues has happened whenever Russia encounters some period of economic stability is uh, is this pressure that comes on the banking sector, and the banking sector hasn't historically performed very well in terms of, of economic instability. Are we likely to see any pressure there this time around? Much like with the general macroeconomic uh, indicators of the government and the central bank, uh, I believe that banks are also facing this uh, turmoil in a better condition uh, than they did, say, in 2008 and 2014. Uh, first of all, because there was a massive cleanup in the banking sector, so a lot of weak players uh, are no longer there. But at the same time, I should note that the central bank is uh, taking action to address those issues through macroprudential measures and uh, liquidity injections. Okay, thank you very much for sharing your insights today, Dimitri. Sure, thank you. Now, Evan, back to you. Thanks for staying with us. We just heard from Judy and Dimitri there about how Russia's health system and its economy are shaping up to deal with the crisis. For you as a reporter here following the developments, what are you going to be keeping an eye on, some of the big stories and key aspects that as you try to understand what's going on in Russia and how the country is responding? I think, as you mentioned earlier in the show, the main question now is how Russia's healthcare system will be handling this crisis. Uh, for the past four to five years now, doctors have been complaining all around the country that they lack funds, they lack the right equipment, that they the hospitals aren't up to date uh, as a pandemic approaches that you know put huge stresses on that system. We, together with you, uh, as you well know, reported a story today, and we spoke to doctors around the country that complained that you know they had to reuse masks. Uh, they don't get enough masks, let alone the right equipment for something as contagious as the coronavirus. So they, one nurse in the Urals region told us that she gets two to three masks for a 24-hour period, so she has to wash them, dry them, and reuse them because she simply doesn't have enough, and she works in a tuberculosis hospital. The... Flip side to that is another doctor told us that Russia has this history of sort of uh, really quickly prepping in a militaristic situation, and if it can if it can handle this crisis the same way, uh, then he, he's looking at it quite optimistically. So that's something we'll be watching closely. Questions like are there enough ventilator beds in Russia? We've seen that issue in Spain. Uh, NHS in the United Kingdom has said that it doesn't have enough. The United States today or yesterday has said that it doesn't have enough and we'll have to be paying attention to how Russia's handling that from region to region. Obviously, in some uh, better funded regions like Moscow or St. Petersburg, they may have more. How will some of the poorer regions in the middle of the country be handling it? There's also class differences. Uh, Russia is the most unequal countries in terms of wealth distribution around the world. We've seen uh, how you know wealthier Americans have been trying to protect themselves in the country. We'll be watching uh, how you know some of the wealthier Russians, how oligarchs are handling this crisis. I mean, every day there'll be new stories and we'll have to be paying attention to them. Yeah, excellent. Thank you very much for explaining that today for us, Evan. Thanks, Jake. That's it for this week on From Russia With News. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, please do rate the show on your favorite podcast app. We'll do our best to try to bring you the show next week. But should it prove a bit too tricky, we might have to take a short hiatus. Either way, be sure to head over to the Moscow Times website for the latest on our reporting around the coronavirus. We also have two live blogs set up tracking the main developments in Russia, such as the latest numbers and the political response, and another on the economic fallout and reaction in the Russian financial markets. While you're 
you're over at the website, you'll also find details of our crowdfunding campaign. And we appreciate these are difficult and uncertain times, but if you can find even the smallest of small change to support our free and independent reporting from Russia, we'd be very grateful. If you'd like to give us feedback on the show, you can find us on social media at Moscow Times and tell us what you think and let us know if you have questions around Russia's response to the coronavirus that you'd like us to explore. I'm your host, Jay Cordell. Thanks to all our guests today. Our producer was Pyotr Sauer. We look forward to hopefully joining you next week with more news from Russia. Thank you.